0: Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome back to Unbothered. Great podcast today coming up. Jets, Chargers, last night. What really was an awful Monday night football game. Yes, I will be talking about that. Then I'm just going to talk about some other notes from the past week action of the NFL. Bengals, Eagles, Dolphins, Chiefs, Ravens. Get into all those teams. The better teams of the NFL. Then I'll give you my top 10 teams in the NFL, updated after nine weeks so far in the NFL, I give you my new fresh top 10 list. Then the Michigan sign-stealing scandal is further developing, further developments have been happening right now as we speak. I react to those, get into what exactly is going on now with other schools, and then Tonight we have the reveal of the college football playoff rankings. I re—I will give what I think should be the top six. Of course, it won't be that, but just give you my thoughts on who my top six is. Let's start with last night's Chargers Jets. Chargers won handily, twenty-seven to six, in what was a defensive struggle, uh, and. It's weird uh, that the score was 27 uh, to 6 when the Jets outgamed the Chargers by 80 yards 270 to f- 191. They ran 21 more plays, controlled the time of possession about, you know, 9 more minutes, 25 to 34. Only had the same amount of uh, penalty yards, forty. So how did they get the job done? How did this game end up twenty-seven-six? If you were to do a quick look at the stats, you go, "Wow, Jets should have won or should have been a much closer game." Well, to open up, to open up with a punt return for a touchdown, which is what the Chargers did, that is difficult. Uh, that's hard. To, that just is a momentum killer when. Uh, the defense uh, plays well. Offense uh, does that. that. That hurts right away. And then, um, on a you know possession, uh, closely afterwards, the Jets fumble. They're driving down. Garrett Wilson fumbles in the Charger zone, opposite side of the field. Can't have that. Defense plays great again. Then Zach Wilson again in the Chargers territory. Drip sack right there, then the Chargers answer with a touchdown, so uh, two fumbles in quick succession there on back-to-back drives really does hurt you. It kills momentum, pre-snap penalties, fumbles hurt. They had another one at the end of the game, but Brees Hall had another one on a third down, which if he didn't fumble, he would probably have got the first down, so it was just a myriad of mistakes by the New York Jets. They couldn't pass protect. I had a tough time run blocking. Uh, the fumbles, uh, no interceptions thrown, but that just hurt the Jets all night. So you combine the errors that they made with the punt return for a touchdown. It made the Chargers win twenty-seven to six. Now the Jets defense, you know, was fine because they only allowed Justin Herbert. To throw for 136 yards, that will do. Uh, Zach Wilson threw for 263. But again, the you know mistimed uh, throws to hit gains, the not converting on third down, they were 3 of 17. That can't happen when the Chargers are 7 of 16. That is just brutal. So the Jets are just inept. On offense. They really are. They have a great defense, but they just can't score. Um, it's the missed time plays. It's the routine. Alan Lazard didn't play great last night either. Again, Garrett Wilson had a fumble. Uh, offensive line wasn't great. Now, Aaron Rodgers can't come back and fix all these things. Now, does it give the team a better outset, better outlook, mind frame? Sure, it definitely does, um, but it you know, if Aaron Rodgers were to come back again, you talked about it being a few weeks out. Could it possibly be, you know, in the midst of a three-game home stretch against the Dolphins or the Falcons or the Texans? Sure, but they're going to, again, have to be in a position to make a playoff for them to come back. So, again, big games coming up away. Raiders, Bills, I thought last night was a winnable game for them and they couldn't get it done. Again, I think the schedule does ease up um, outside of the Bills and Dolphins, uh, who you face twice. Uh, Really, the only threatening team is the Browns, and that's mainly because of their defense, and that's the second to last game on the schedule. But again, what they need to address in the offseason is going to have to be offensive line, left tackle, a guard of some sort maybe another weapon uh, receiver to compliment Garrett Wilson. Defense is fine. Leave the defense alone. Robert Salas knows what he's doing. on that. bad. And it's just the offense. And when you're handicapped by Zach Wilson in a poor offensive line, hey, there's things you need to address in free agency and in the draft. But Justin Herbert, on the other hand, a quarterback I have a lot of Respect for, I think he's a top five quarterback in the league. Last night was not one of his better showings. Again, an average of four and a half yards per completion. Ain't that good. Again, he took five sacks. Uh, Zach Wilson took eight, but Justin Herbert took a lot of sacks. They pressured him, uh, made one good throw to Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen, great catch. But outside of that, uh, it was really they were the beneficiary of the punt return for a touchdown the fumbles giving them a short field position uh, to work into where their touchdowns only had to be uh, 60 50 yard drives they didn't have to start like the jets did at their own 25 20 and try to get 75 80 yard drives they had the the benefit uh, they benefited from really starting with you know two plus first downs right there so chargers they have a lot to clean up you know defensively against this offense they look good But every team has a measuring stick game. And I think their measuring stick game, again, they had a couple. They lost to the Cowboys and the Chiefs. They have another one next Sunday or this Sunday coming up against the Lions. That will be a big game uh, for the Chargers to prove, hey, can they contend for a playoff spot, wild card spot? Or, you know, are we just not that team? Uh, We'll find out this weekend. My guess is they're not that team I do like. The Jets or I my bet I do like my Lions in that matchup. Another game I want to talk about, Bengals and Bills. Uh, this was a big one because it's Sunday night. You got two popular high-profile quarterbacks going at it in Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. So if they're going at it. You expect a good game. Uh, Maybe high scoring, Uh, Bengals won 24-18, and to me, I learned a couple, well, a couple things reinforced to me. Bengals are for real, I've been saying this now since the Cardinals game, but they're for real. You don't have to worry about the Bengals anymore. They're back, they have faced some of the tougher games on their schedule already, back to back, 49ers. Bengals, they face the Seahawks, beat them all. They're on a four-game winning streak uh, schedule. Doesn't really let up because they still play the Steelers twice. They play the Ravens, the Jaguars, the Chiefs. But if this is the Bengals team that I've seen the past couple weeks with Joe Burrow's accuracy, efficiency, uh, Jamar Chase playing well, T. Higgins picking it up, the pass rush, Trey Hendricks and Sam Hubbard coming home. Uh, Yeah, the Bengals... Maybe I was right on my Super Bowl pick. Then Joe Burrow, I think, could also sneak back into the MVP conversation. Wipe away the September. If his next couple months are like the past one that he had, yeah, good football team here in Cincy. So it reinforced that to me. Also reinforced that Josh Allen, you know, he is a good quarterback. He didn't have a terrible game. Um, You'd like to take away that, one interception that he threw but was just a, a bad, poorly timed throw, um, which Cincinnati picked off. But again, it's something that I've been harping on for the past few weeks or months now, and it's regarding the coaching staff. Uh, Josh Allen is in the same boat as Justin Herbert. Great, great young, dynamic quarterbacks with inept offense. John McDermott is not that guy. We have reached the ceiling with Sean McDermott, that's the AFC title game. Great, I think great coach, fixed the Bills, helped get Josh Allen, him and Brian Dable and Ken Dorsey, I think it's a downgrade of an offensive mind over Brian Dable. But the coaching, it's not there. Um, again, they're 5-4 and four now, they have struggled on the road, they're 1-4 and four of a season on it, they're not top 10 anymore in offense, or defense. Now, when you have a quarterback, um, like Josh Allen, you should be, you know, top 10 in those categories. Excuse me. Uh, they are five end offense mainly because of Josh Allen. They are a top five passing offense. But when you look at their rushing totals, it's middle of the pack, just over 100 yards per game. Um, that's not good enough. Uh, defense, you know, what is, what's his name? Sean McDermott, my the head coach. What's he known as? He's known as a defensive coach, had one of the better defenses the past few years, and Buffalo is not in the top 10 of defense. They are 17th in defense, so middle of the pack. Mediocre defense in terms of yards allowed per game. Uh, this, the, what I'm about to say, will probably surprise you because just looking at it uh, surprises me. And that is these teams that have a better defense than the Bills. The Patriots, in terms of yards per game, better defense. The Raiders. The Vikings. The Dolphins. The Packers. The Panthers. The Panthers. The Falcons, all those teams have better. Now, again, all those teams caught my eye, but when you the Panthers really a 1-17 and they allow less yards per game than you, a defensive-minded coach, and Sean McDermott, you ain't doing your job right. Sean McDermott has got to go. He can't coach the defense anymore. Can't find a run game. It's time to move on from a guy. Great guy. Can't win Super Bowls with him. Another note from this weekend. Eagles-Cowboys. So, Eagles beat the Cowboys by five. Cowboys really hung around there. Great effort, I thought, by them. But they could not finish the, uh, finish the game. Get the job done. Dak Prescott said it best after the game. It's a game of inches, and yep. Just a couple of plays there, and Dallas could have won that game the I believe Jake Ferguson, uh, you know, knees, you know, on the goal line, uh, but ball didn't cross, didn't get that score. Uh, the Dak Prescott two-point conversion just steps out before he gets across. And then, you know, the C.D. Lamb came up short at the end there. So it's a game of inches. Um, I thought the Cowboys outplayed the Eagles. Now you can blame refs or whatever. But Cowboys outplayed the Eagles. They had 406 yards to the Cowboys, 292. Passing game was clearly better. What could they not do? They couldn't run the ball. Eagles could run the ball, and Dallas couldn't. Uh, but the Dallas defense, very surprised on, um, only holding A.J. Brown to 66 yards. Philadelphia did not have an answer For CeeDee Lamb. Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb have great chemistry. This makes me feel better about the end of the season when the game is in Dallas and Dallas plays much better there. The Dallas can win this game. I think this game proved that, hey, they can win games like this. Uh, Dak, you know, in moments can make plays, not throw interceptions. There was a lot of positives to take away from Dallas in this effort. And I think next time they play, Dallas will get this one back. Another one I want to talk about is Miami. So a lot of memes, if you are on the meme following like I am, about the Dolphins being a pretender. They haven't beat a team with a winning record in like 400 days, something absurd like that. So, so far this season, they're 0-3 against such teams. They have a winning record, but I was encouraged by the Dolphins. Why? Well, they were down twenty-one to zero at half. The last score, the fumble return—that you know—you chalk that up as like really come on, that happened to us. Tyreek fumbles it. The Chiefs guy picks it up, throws it back to another Chiefs guy, and they run it for a touchdown. It's like really come on. And at that point, it's like, hey, uh, you can easily. Come out of the second half, deflated, down 21-0. You're in Germany. Let's just throw in this game. You know, we're going to lose. But I love the way the Dolphins responded, uh, offensively and defensively in that game. Um, uh, Defensively, I thought they did a great job of Mahomes the whole game uh, because he only threw for 185 yards and two touchdowns. They let Noah Gray. Be their leading receiver was 34 yards on three receptions more than Travis Kelsey. And they only let Pacheco go for 66 yards. So the defense really uh, hung in there in the second half. I like the defensive play, Vic Fangio, getting them right. Uh, Now that we have Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard healthy, that means a lot for this defense as well. Um, And then, you know, we saw Miami was able to score on them. Great pass from Tua to Cedric Wilson. Raheem Mostert, again, is a great running back. Can find open lanes. Can uh, make room uh, to score uh, just down there in the clutch. When they needed Tua to make plays, they he could not um, make plays. Especially late in the game, you had two chances really to drive down. and couldn't do it. Tua with some overthrows to... You know Jalen Waddle and Cedric Wilson, um, where you have your players, you have them where you want them, and you just don't deliver. So I thought it was, you know, very positive for the Dolphins moving forward because I do think that they can compete with teams and beat some of the the teams that have winning records in their division now we in their conference now. They don't have any coming up until their last three. They have a very weak schedule uh, coming up against Raiders, Titans, Commanders. So I think they can blow out some teams. Final three games is where we're going to find out a lot about this. Dolphins, if they've corrected those issues when they play the Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Bills. So to me, that will define the Dolphins' season, and maybe if they win the division or not. Uh, Chiefs win the game, improve to 7-2. and two. I'm not sold on them offensively. Yes, the stats say their offensive yards are fine. But when you watch them, they do have a hard time pulling away. Now, any team like the Chiefs can pull away from the um, what team is it? The Bears who they beat. But they just do. Um, they've lost two games so far this year. Uh, they couldn't pull away against the Jags uh, when they were up against the Jets. Um, the Vikings... You know, really the Broncos game, that first one was closer. Pulled away from the Chargers, but the Dolphins, they couldn't do. And they got good teams coming up. They got the Eagles coming up. They have the Bills, uh, the Bengals, Chargers again. So can this offense put teams away and not make it to where teams can catch up on them and overtake them? And one last note. is the Baltimore Ravens. They own... NFC teams. So a couple weeks ago, kind of same scenario, Seattle played the Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions coming in hot. I actually picked the Baltimore Ravens against my Lions, and I was right, 38-6. to 6. Ravens won. They looked fantastic. Now coming into this game, same story, Seattle division leader. Can they beat the Ravens, hang in with them? And the answer was they couldn't. Nope. Uh, picked the Ravens in this one, and they won 37-3. to Somehow more convincingly picked off Geno, stifled the run game, held Kenneth Walker to 16 yards, and they just dominated with 515 yards of total offense. Now, Lamar improved to 18-1 and against NFC teams. What does that prove to me? That the next time a Ravens play an NFC team, which I think is the Rams in a few weeks, uh, yeah, I'm going to be picking the Ravens in that game. Maybe when they play the Niners the end of the year, I will be picking the Ravens in that game. Uh, what does that prove to me? If they make the Super Bowl, might be a smart pick to pick the Ravens because, again, Lamar and the Ravens own NFC teams. Uh, Seattle, look like a pretender. Uh, difficult schedule coming up in a few weeks when they play the Niners, Cowboys, Niners-Eagles in succession. So that's difficult um, for them. Um, is it impossible? No. Two and two, best hope. I'm going to go with one and three. Um, hopefully not only four back, could cost them the season. But now to get to my top ten teams in the NFL through nine weeks, who do I got? Let's start with Number ten. Now number 10 theres a few teams fighting for position uh, among the three teams fighting. There three teams one prevailed. It was the Pittsburgh Steelers, Cleveland Browns and Seattle Seahawks. So I know Seattle just beat Cleveland they could hang with them. Pittsburgh, I'm sorry. I know they're winning, but I don't love the team. I don't love Kenny Pickett. So I put Seattle there at 10. I still think they're a decent team. yes, they just got walloped on. But I'm not counting them dead in the water. Yes, bad performance um, by the team all around, but they have shown signs of you know strength in their secondary running the football. Um I'm not totally giving up on the Seattle Seahawks just yet. Number nine, the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, Dallas Cowboys lost a very close game to the Eagles don't think they're a bad team. Um, You know, they're great at home, great scoring differential, score a lot of points to get up on you. I was encouraged that they actually, you know, lost this one close, whereas their losses this year really haven't been close. So I thought that is actually an improvement for the Dallas Cowboys. Number eight, the San Francisco 49ers. Yes, I believe San Francisco even though they've lost three in a row, are a good team. Their defense um, are slipping. They're just at number 10. Their offense is still very good. Uh, but the question is, Brock Purdy, can he elevate his play when you need him? Can you let him come back win games? I don't know. I don't think he can do that this year. I think there are limitations to this offense, and that's why the Niners are at eight. Seven. Cincinnati Bengals. I like the Bengals at six. They are constantly improving. They have won four in a row. You look at their stats and you're like, you know, bottom 10 offense and defense. How are they five and three and high on Joshua? They started off so atrociously in all metrics that, you know, it's really hard work to get up. They also had their bye week. But winning four in a row helps Joe Burrow is the second best quarterback in the game. He looks at part now. He's playing the part. This is a good team. I have the Bengals at number seven. Number six, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, yep, got to drop them half to even though I did like their performance their Yardage is slowly dipping every single week and their points per game as well. They once had an average of 500 yards per game and 38 points uh, after the Broncos game. Since then, they are dropping now to 435. That's 70 or 65 yard decrease. They're dropping in points now to 31.7. Uh, the Eagles are three points behind them in offense. My Lions are 45 yards behind them. So there you have it. Offense is very good. Defense is improving uh, in the top 15 now. I like it if they can stay healthy on defense. Watch out for the Dolphins to make some noise. Number five, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, mediocre defense, but good offense led by Trevor Lawrence. This is a good team. One of the best quarterbacks in the um, NFL is Trevor Lawrence. Uh, There's no mistake about that at all. Uh, Great weapons and um, Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk, uh, Travis Etienne, has been an absolute beast this year for the Jacksonville Jaguars running it, catching it out of the backfield. He's been fantastic for the Jags. That's why I've dropped him at five. For Detroit Lions, uh, one of the few teams that, you know, I should say actually one of, not a few, but one of, uh Two teams who are top. Actually, actually, let me refresh. They are the only team, only team, only team, only team, to have a top five offense and defense. To say that about the Detroit Lions is truly remarkable. The second uh, top offense in terms of yards, still top ten in scoring. Defensively, top five in terms of yards uh, per game. The defense. It's been great, really, why they're 6-2 this year, complemented by the fantastic offense. They play complementary football. Dan Campbell will win Coach of the Year. This is a great team. Number three, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, This is a team that is top 10 in offense and is top 5 in defense. Uh, Great defense, the best of a Patrick Mahomes era. Offense isn't quite there yet. I don't know if it will get there yet when you're nine games into the season. Right now is when you start turning the corner. So they have a bye week, get things figured out, then a big game against the Eagles to see where they're truly at. And the same could be said about the Eagles. I'll get to them in a second. But first, number two, it's the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, This offense is really good, uh, led by uh, Lamar Jackson, they're explosive. Uh, Zay Flowers has been a just great, great uh, player for them. Again, top 10 offense there. And the number two defense, um, they are number one in scoring and number two in yards. So basically all the categories that you can find for defense are number one or number two, and except for rushing, I think that's the only way um, you could try to challenge Baltimore um, because their secondary is very good. That leaves number one, the Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, Eagles are still the number one team, best record in the NFL, sitting so at eight and one. Uh, third best offense in terms of yards, second in points, led by uh, A.J. Brown, Jalen Hurts, fantastic duo. They've been great uh, defensively. Uh, would like a little bit more. They are, you know, the best rushing defense in the NFL, but they are the fourth worst in terms of yards allowed for pass. So, you know, one stout unit, one not. Um, We'll see how they fare when we play Patrick Mahomes. But Eagles, to me, remain number one. So there you have it. Those are my top ten NFL teams. Now let's move on to the Michigan sign-stealing scandal. Now everybody today on... ESPN Media is talking that they need to suspend Jim Harbaugh, that yes, they agree with the Big Ten to really push this thing and suspend him. Get over it, please. Uh, ESPN needs to stop with this narrative. So I want to share with you some of the developments that have been shared with the public. First from the Associated Press, a former employee at a Big Ten football program, said yesterday it was his job to steal signs and he was given details from multiple conference schools before his team played Michigan to compile a spreadsheet of play calling signals used by the Wolverines this year. So the cheating scandal continues. So the person also passed along screenshots of text message exchanges with staffers from a handful of Big Ten football teams with Michigan giving the program proof that the other conference teams were colluding to steal signs from Michigan. And then today it was confirmed that the Big Ten's commissioner, Tony Petiti, was informed that the two programs which fed Purdue Michigan signals before the 2022 Big Ten title game were Rutgers and Ohio State. It's not clear if rules were broken, doesn't directly affect UM's situation, but raises the question regarding relative competitive advantage. Really? This is what we're going after now. So they were hammering Michigan, the Big Ten schools, because of the competitive advantage. But when it comes to them, uh, you know, let's turn a blind eye. And, you know, I thought it was very funny. I thought Purdue played a great game against Michigan in the conference uh, championship game last year for the first half or so. Competed until Michigan pulled away in the second half. I thought they played good. But now I have this information that they were given our signs by Rutgers and Ohio State. Is it the end of the world? No, because a better team won. Michigan won. That's what happens. The sign stealing isn't worth a whole game, a few points. But come on, let's let's stop with this. Rutgers and Ohio State did this against Michigan. Now is it as bad as I think? Stealing, and going to the team's games. And filming them like Connor Stallions is accused of no. But I think if you steal signs, you keep it within your program. To actually share this with other Big Ten schools for them to use is actually crazy. Uh, They've updated the story since where you can actually see they have partially redacted documents showing how Michigan opponents decoded Wolverine signals and matched them with run and pass concepts. It's actually Very interesting. So you have all this, but is ESPN talking about it? Now, this, again, was broken by the AP Press, Associated Press, great news firms, Sports Illustrated as well, uh, were involved with this story. But has ESPN talked about it? No, because they only want things they break. And I thought it was funny. So a former ESPN staff member, Brett McMurphy, I believe he works for Yahoo Sports now, or does his own thing, still a great reporter. He said, and I quote, he on X slash Twitter, and I quote, it's ironic ESPN is hammering Michigan and Jim Harbaugh for sign stealing when ESPN continually steals and fails to credit reporters and news organizations for news ESPN didn't break, end of quote. So I think it's funny that ESPN is trying to take some moral high ground um, on this because they want to hammer Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. And they really don't want to acknowledge any of the other reports that have came out of this story, any other developments that were happening, any of these, you know, sign-stealing initiatives from the other schools that is solely focused on how evil Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines is, you know, really slanted. Again, I don't think any action right now is going to be taken on the Michigan Wolverines. How can you when? You have these documents, uh, literally, that the public can see of, you know, the teams that stole Michigan signs. Now we have that one picture of Connor Stallions, maybe in a Central Michigan game. Doesn't look like a full picture of him. Doesn't look exactly like him. So it's, like, hard to tell. So to me, it's all a joke. It's, you know, it's the whole everybody's cheating. This is just proving everybody's doing it. Slap Michigan on my wrist, fine with me. Anything more than that, there's going to be some serious problems for the Big Ten and for the NCAA. So, Paul Feinbaum, Pat McAfee, Shannon Sharp, Stephen A. Smith, stick it. Absolutely stick it, you chumps. Um, Now I want to get to my top six. Now, I believe the top three that I named... Will be the same as the rankings tonight, but from there, that will change the rest. So number six, I have the Oregon Ducks. I think one of the most complete teams. Great offensively, defensively, has been good. I think they rematched with Washington very well and beat them in a neutral site environment, which of course would be that Pac-12 championship. Bo Nix has been fantastic. Dan Lanning, great coach. I have the Ducks at six. Five. Another team on the outside looking in from a Pac-12. I have the Washington Huskies. Now big double-digit win against USC this weekend. However, defense did allow a lot of points. Um, was close. I still think Washington has some holes. Michael Penix is fantastic. But defensively, I am worried about the Huskies. Four, the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, another win for Ben. They improved to 9-0. Good uh, Good team. However, I just questioned their conference and the teams they beat. LSU now just lost to Bama, that hurts their first win of the season. Again, Clemson, who they played as four losses, so they to me haven't you know retrospectively look back at their schedule and say, wow, they've played one of the best teams in the nation. Number three, this is of course right there. Number three, I have the Ohio State guys because another team. Good resume. You can talk about resume all you want. But do they pass the I-Test? Are they dominant? No, they were down to Rutgers at half. They were, again, didn't look good against them. It takes them a while to actually pick up steam and then in a fourth quarter. You go, oh, you know, they won convincingly after it took four quarters to get there. Not like Michigan where it's really over once the second quarter starts. Which takes me to my number two team is Michigan. Um, dominated another opponent, Purdue. Um, All this noise, and you're still uh, winning, scoring a lot of points, 40-plus again, highest point differential per game, scoring 41 points, uh, allowing like six. So just great performance by Michigan. And number one, I have the Georgia Bulldogs. They deserve to be number one, not just because they're the back-to-back champs, but because this is a good football team, they just beat um, Missouri, who I thought was very talented. Yeah, it was a little back and forth, but they did pull away. Uh, win the game uh, is one of the better wins of the year. That's why I got Georgia at one. So that's how I rank them. I do think the four through six will be right. Tonight we'll probably see Michigan at three, and then either Georgia or Ohio State at one or two. This has been Unbothered. I'll talk to you all later. Hope you all have a great rest of your day. Bye, everybody.